Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. You want to open up your Bibles, otherwise you can uh, get onto YouVersion, you can download the Bible app and you can uh, follow along the Scriptures for this morning. You can make your own notes, you can find plans in line with what's happening um, through the Bible app from YouVersion, uh, incredible resource, you can do that. Or you can use the uh, paper one, whatever your heart desires, um, that would be good. Alright, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we... Uh, we thank you for your presence here and we just invite you to do what only you can do. Um, that you would speak and we would hear you, you would move and we would see you and we would follow you. Um, thank you for what you're doing and what you're about to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so we're continuing uh, the series on why do we? And we're just taking a, a moment over a few weeks to just look at some of the things that we kind of accept as a natural part of being a follower of Jesus and going, well, why do we do that? Why do we, why do we uh, f- carry our cross? Why does Jesus actually ask us to carry a cross? Why do we confess our sins? It was last week and today we're going to look at why do we need to repent? Um, and like I've said a few times, what God requires of us, He enables uh, and he, he desires relationship with us greater than we do. Um, and he's the one that actually makes a way for that to be the case. We're made in his image. Uh, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're made for connection and belonging and community. Um, and he desires that. That's, be, that's the desire of his heart. Um, and so he's the one that actually takes the steps to draw us into relationship with, them, with him. Um, ever since he created man, he's the one that makes the first move, so to speak to do that for us. When Jesus commands us to take up our cross daily and follow him, he doesn't just say that as some kind of loose command, he actually shows us what that looks like lived out, to actually die to self and uh, live for Christ. When he calls us, uh, encourages us, asks us to confess our sins, he doesn't just say confess your sins because you should, um, but he actually provides a way for us to do that and he's the one that provides salvation. Um, He's the one that um, gives us a reason to confess our sins. He's the one that gives us hope on the other side of our confession of sins. When he calls us to repentance, it's not just so that we can, you know, be done with whatever we might have done wrong, but it's actually so that we can once again commit to following him in every area of our lives. It's once again we, we take up our cross. It's once again we say, Jesus, I choose you. I let go of what is holding me down, what's holding me behind, the sin that I've committed, the wrong that I've done, and I choose you. I turn away from what I've done and I choose you. I turn back to following after you. So that's what we're going to look at uh, today. We're going to be uh, in, start up in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, uh, and just look at a couple of different scriptures about repentance um, and just see how God has always been at work to uh, provide a safe place for us to repent. I don't know about you, but sometimes uh, think about confession and repentance. Uh, they can seem like really scary things, particularly if we've had negative experiences. Maybe we've opened up to somebody in the past, or maybe in our upbringing, maybe somewhere in our family life. We have confessed a sin. We have um, 
said, you know, I need to confess this, I need to get this off my chest, I need to deal with this area of my life that is not godly. And so we confess it to somebody and we haven't had the greatest response. And last week I kind of shared the analogy of my children coming to me and confessing that they'd stolen my chocolate, which still none of them have. Um, If they confess about something like that, I have two options. I can respond out of anger or or distrust or whatever it might be and just come down on them like a ton of bricks and send them away and just inflict punishment on them. Or I can actually sit down with them and hear their hearts and hear their confession and lead them through repentance um, and restore the relationship that we have. And those choices are mine. How I respond in those times when they confess to me um, is my choice. And in those moments, they also learn whether or not I'm safe place for them to confess their sins whether I'm safe and strong enough to lead them in repentance or out of fear and anger and frustration, I'm actually going to scare them off and say, I don't actually know how to handle what you've done wrong. And my sense is from some conversations this week and some of the feedback that I've heard from people is that we haven't had great experiences in confessing stuff, that even in our families or in the church family, it hasn't been a safe place to confess stuff. Or maybe it's been too safe just think about it now, that we actually confess stuff and people don't know how to handle it so they don't actually lead us further on from what we're confessing. We're just left there, we've, we've confessed, we've opened up, we've been vulnerable, we've looked for connection and looked to get this sin, this offence out of our hearts, out of our lives. But we're no better off. And so there's actually two parts to the process. We confess our sins um, and we actually enter into uh, repentance. We repent of what we have done wrong. Here in Second Corinthians chapter seven, uh, Paul writes to the church at Corinth what we have as the second letter to the church at Corinth, um, clearing up some of the stuff that he wrote in the first letter. Um, and so he writes this uh, chapter seven, verse eight, following: "Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it." Uh, I love Paul. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a short while. Yet now I'm happy. Not because you were made sorry, but not not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Wow. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret but worldly sorrow brings death. So Paul writes and he says, I wrote to you the last time uh, and you got a little bit upset. Have you ever had those conversations with people where you've pointed out something that might not have been great in their lives? You've, cor- you've sought to correct them. You, maybe you've done it lovingly. You've done it patiently. You've done it with wisdom. Um, but then the walls just go up. They just get offended because they don't like what you've said or whatever it might be. They don't like you pointing out the fault in their lives uh, and so they get offended. Have you ever had that kind of experience? It's not fun, is it? And in fact, that kind of um, might turn you off having those conversations. Yeah, as we talked about a few weeks ago, we're actually called as followers of Jesus to point out the sin or offence in each other, not in a judgmental uh, kind of way, but to actually say, hey, when you did that, that's, that's actually not great. That doesn't honour God. That doesn't honour the people around you. And in a loving, brotherly, sisterly kind of way, as followers of Jesus, we're called to correct one another um, and therefore gain a brother or a sister in that process. 
Paul writes to Corinth and he says, in the first letter, he points out some stuff that they weren't doing great. They needed some realignment in who they were as followers of Jesus. So he writes, they're not happy with what he's written to them. They're not happy with the fact that he's pointed this stuff out and so they get a bit upset. And so Paul writes again to the church of Corinth and says, well, look, I'm sorry, not sorry. Um, I didn't do, I'm really sorry that you were upset, but at the same time, I'm not sorry because look what you being sorry has led you to, which was the point of why I pointed these things out. Does that make sense? Sorry, I, I feel like I'm talking really fast. I'm sorry, I'll try and slow down. He writes to the church and he says, I get that you were upset, but please see that you were upset for a particular reason. Because in this world, there's two types of sorrow. You can have worldly sorrow, which is full of pain and regret and doesn't actually do you any good. Or you can have godly sorrow. Godly sorrow actually leads you to repentance. Godly sorrow looks, leads you to look at what you, the sin you've committed in your life the offence you've committed, and that might be as an individual, that might be as a community, or even time, that might even be as a nation. That leads you to look at it and go, that wasn't great. That did not honour God. We need to reassess what we're doing, where we're going, what direction we're heading in, because that was not in line with the lives that God has called us to live. And that's not a fun experience. It's never really a joy when somebody points out a sin in your life. Does anybody enjoy that experience? Does anybody go, I love it when somebody comes to me and says, that was not Jesus, that was not honouring of Jesus. Now, after about mm, three to seven days, I'm generally getting okay. But the first two to three days, I'm like, no, I'll just go and curl up in a corner and uh, be myself for a while, be by myself for a while. But the first, couple of, the first couple of days, and then I start to, I try and see the wisdom. I think I'm getting better at this the older I get. I'm looking for the wisdom. I'm like, God, what are you saying when somebody corrects me? What can I learn from this? And sometimes we actually miss a correction from the Lord because we're assessing it based on who gave it to us. I'll say it again. Sometimes we miss the correction from the Lord because we assess it based on who gave us the correction. So we can, I th- I th- I've done this. I've dismissed things because of what I think of the person who gave me the correction. Yeah, God can, I mean, God can use a donkey. I haven't had a donkey correct me. But if God can use a donkey to get somebody on the right path in their life, then God can use any friend or foe, family, business member, community, whatever, whoever it might be, God can use anybody to actually bring correction into my life. And if I get offended because I don't like the package that God delivers the message in, I miss out on what God wants to do in my life. I miss out on an opportunity to, to grow and to uh, be strengthened and to learn. Whereas if I listen to the heart of the message that the person is giving to me, I can actually grow in those things. And so this godly sorrow, rather than going, oh, I'm terrible, I'm I'm horrible, nobody loves me, that person doesn't like me, I think I'll eat some worms, I can actually go, oh, God, I hear you in that message. And so I have done wrong, but I'm actually going to turn away from that. And that's what repentance is, that we actually turn away from the wrong that we've done and we realign ourselves to the direction that God has for us. 
Because any sin, any offence is heading in a different direction to what God has for us. I'm heading this way, I sin, I, I commit an offence. Somebody points it out. That might be my brother, that might be my wife, that has been my kids sometimes. So I, I say, oh, okay, I have messed up. I turn around and I get back on track with what direction God has me going in. Does that make sense? So we have to be, I think we've got to be careful and guarded sometimes that we don't write off the message because of the messenger. And you can think, well, I've got the Bible, I've got a personal relationship with the Lord, um, I don't need anybody correcting me. Uh, you're wrong. Actually, we do need people, we do need community, we need fathers and mothers in our lives, we need brothers and sisters that can help us see our blind spots. Right? We're actually better together. And that takes some vulnerability and connection um, to work through that and to do that together. In Romans uh, chapter 2, you can turn there if you like. I'm just going to be there for a little bit. I love this verse. Um, and even, it's not even the whole, um, it's not even the whole verse, but there's a sentence in there that a lot of us would know, and it says, God's kindness leads you towards repentance. Let me give you um, the context. Do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, tolerance, this is chapter 2, verse 4, His kindness, tolerance and patience not realising that God's kindness leads you toward repentance. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when His righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what He has done. God's kindness leads you toward repentance. God's kindness leads you towards... It's His kindness. It's not his anger, it's not his wrath, it's not fear, it's not anything else but his kindness that leads us towards repentance, which is astounding. And I don't know that we've always done a great job of acknowledging this. I've, to actually go, it's his kindness, okay, if I need to repent, if I need to have a repentant heart, if I need to turn away from the wrong that I was doing and realign myself, it's not because... I'm fearful of his anger, it's actually because of his kindness, I'm drawn to his kindness. And he's always been like that. Let me show you how good God is. Would you agree that God is good? Excellent, we're all on the same page. I want to show you. So, if you go back to Old Testament, I'm no Hebrew scholar, but basically there's two words translated into repent in Hebrew, in the Old Testament. Um, and one of them, you know, it, it looks like sub, it's probably not how you pronounce it, but it looks like sub. That's one of the most common, and it means what it mean, to, to, to repent, to turn away. So I'm going, I've done this, which is not in line with what God has me do. I change direction and get in line with what God wants me to do. That's one of the most common ways. But the other word used for repent is the word Nahum, which is where we get the name Nahum from. And Nahum, any names in the house? Not a super common name, but it means comfort. Now, so I want to show you, in Job 42, um, it actually says, Job, our English says, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes, alright? So that is, I despise myself and Nahum in dust and ashes. I comfort myself, I find repentance in the dust and ashes. Okay, you with me so far? Okay, bear with me, you'll see this. this will, I'm, I'm sure it will blow your mind like it blew mine. In Psalm 23, which we read at the start of the service, David writes, I fear no evil, for you are with me. 
Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They nahum me. All right? So we have this word that covers repentance and comfort. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They're not actually the same thing. The rod and the staff aren't the same thing, from what I understand. The rod is the instrument of discipline. The staff is the instrument of direction. So here is this, the, the psalmist writing about the Lord being his shepherd, and he says, God, you use um, discipline and direction to guide me, to comfort me, and to draw me in repentance. Isn't that amazing? So when we repent, as like Paul says in, in the letter to Rome, it's not because I'm scared of God, it's actually because I'm scared of not being with God. It's actually because He is so kind. He is my comfort, He provides direction, and He provides godly discipline. That when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which actually might be my own doing, I've often read that, for a long time I've read that, like, oh, somebody's inflicting pain and suffering on me. Actually, I can get myself into the valley of the shadow of death with nobody's help but my own. And God, in His, I'm sure I'm the only one that is like that, God, in His infinite wisdom and love and kindness, uses His, his tools to actually guide me in His path for His name's sake. So that might be, yes, he, he comforts us, but He also gently turns us towards repentance. So I can say, actually, the value of the shadow of death is not the path that follows the Lord. God guides me and turns me back onto the path for His name's, his name's sake. And then goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Isn't that astounding? That He would that he's so loving and gracious that he uses, um, he provides the direction and the correction that I need in my life, like a shepherd to a sheep, so that I can get back on the path that he has set for me. I'm, I, I love that he does that. Here's where it gets really, really good. Okay, so we have, that's, that's the Old Testament word for, for comfort and for repentance, for repenting. Fast forward hundreds of years and we get to Jesus, okay? Jesus uh, is baptised. Jesus goes into the wilderness, fasts for 40 days, uh, is tempted by the devil three times, comes out of the wilderness. At some point soon, finds out that his cousin John is in prison. Uh, and in the midst of that, Jesus moves from his um, base of Galilee moves to a village called Capernaum, or Capernaum, as some people like to say. Now, I don't know if you see it, I didn't see it, but Capernaum is actually a Hebrew word, and the second half of it is the same as Nahum. Capernaum is a village, and it means village of comfort. Here's Jesus, wonderful Emmanuel, comforter, who moves his home base into a village called the Village of Comfort or the Village of Repentance. God, with skin on, God as man, now lives in the Village of Comfort. 
the one that would actually, that calls us to repent because the kingdom of heaven is near and guides us as that. Jesus becomes the rod and the staff. Jesus becomes the one who guides us. He is the good shepherd. He's also the gate through which we pass. How he does that, I don't know. That actually guides us into a life of comfort and repentance. Not comfort so we can just sit back and relax and think, life's sweet, thanks so much, I'm good. No, it's actually a comfort in him. So no matter what I come against, I trust the good shepherd who guides me for his namesake. How good is God that he would do that? That he would actually plant his son in the village of comfort and says, this is your home base, son. You're going to operate it out of here. Now, I want to show you earthly comfort. Matthew 11, turn to Matthew 11. This is um, earthly comfort, and this is where we actually fall short of the glory of God. Matthew 11, verse 20. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most, most of his miracles, everyone say most, had been performed because they did not repent. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they didn't repent, you silly people. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, hometown, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it would be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. That's not, that's not fun Jesus, is it? That's not, you know, Jesus meek and mild, tiptoe tip through the juleps kind of Jesus. That's not the loving, gracious Jesus with the beautiful brown hair that we all kind of imagine and, you know, like to look at. No, this is Jesus letting the cities know you have fallen way short. Like Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because of their sin. But here is Jesus saying, do you know what? Those cities are going to do better than you, Capernaum. Because you saw me at work. You saw the miracles. You saw who I am. You saw what I could do. And yet you didn't repent. You didn't repent. And I think one of the greatest sadnesses that we see is when people, one of the greatest joys is that people respond to the miracle of Jesus in their lives. And the greatest miracle is the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. But here's Jesus saying, you saw me at work. You saw most of my miracles out of all the people that were there when Jesus was alive. These three places saw more than anywhere else. His hometown. Yet they disregarded it. This is, this is Joseph's son. And Jesus says, you saw me at work, you saw me, you saw what I'm like, you saw my comfort and you were way too comfortable to repent from your evil ways. Oh, Jesus. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be so comfortable that I'm just, I'm living my life and I'm, and, and I'm okay with that and then I see Jesus at work and we hear stories of Jesus at work and Muslims coming to faith because people have done the hard yards and and put in the time and the effort and the love and the relationship. I don't want to miss the work of Jesus where people are so generous that we can be sitting in a new facility that's a blessing not only to us but to our entire community. I don't want to miss the miracle of Jesus that every time somebody gives their life to Jesus and accepts Him as Lord and Saviour of, 
of their life that I think, oh, that's great, that's one more, okay, what else are we on to? Like, it, it, like see, it's all about him. It's all about him. And we get so caught up in the stuff of this world and we get hung up on who's upset us and who's done us wrong and we're waiting for a miracle greater than what we've already had yet. The fact that we're a follower of Jesus is the greatest miracle of all time and we miss the miracle that Jesus has done in our lives. And Jesus invites us. It's this same chapter, if you keep reading, Jesus just had a rip at these three cities, these villages and said, you have missed it. And then he gets down to our verse 28 and he says, oh, come to me, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love those words. Because here's Jesus saying, you unrepentant cities, you have missed it. And he's not saying that. Like, people think that God's just angry all the time. Jesus isn't saying it because he wants to punish the cities. This is his direction and correction at work. He said, guys, you've actually missed some of my greatest stuff. You've missed it. But to all of you who are weary, come, come, I'll give you rest. How good is Jesus? How good is God that in one moment he's announcing the impending wrath, the judgment, because these cities wouldn't turn from their sin. And he says, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. And I know that we can argue context and time and all of that, but the heart of Jesus is still the same. He says, you know what, you, are you weary? Are you worn out because of the busyness of your life? And not even just the busyness, but because you're so distracted by the sin in your life, the, the addiction that binds you, the anger that holds you back, the guilt that you hold on to that you don't know how to deal with, the pain that you've nursed like a baby for years and years and years, the wrongdoing that you've committed, the stuff that you've stolen. Are you worn out from that? If you come to me, I'll give you rest. He is that good. Is that good? And sometimes we're, oh, have you, this used to happen in Adelaide. I, I don't know if you've had these people in Horsham, but they would get in Rundle Mall and they'd have their placards about turn or burn. And do you see people going to them in droves and saying, please show me the way to your saviour? It sounds so appealing. No, nobody goes to them. Everybody avoids them. I avoid them and I love Jesus. Probably next time I'd try and have a conversation with them. I don't know. Because turn or burn doesn't work. Because that's not what Jesus is like. Jesus is like, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. He is that good. I want to say, I don't think I really mentioned it last week, but for confession and repentance, being a follower of Jesus... The devil and your sins love the darkness. And what confession and repentance do is actually bring that stuff out of the darkness into the light. And this is what, the, you know, 1 John, the first letter of John is all about. Bring that stuff out into the light. God is love. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So you get that stuff that you hold in darkness and 
where sin breathes and just becomes murderous and angry and bitter and it just swells up within you and you don't know what to do with it. Get that stuff that you know is really bad but you don't know what to do with it and bring it out into the light. How do we do that? We find somebody we know and trust and love who is a follower of Jesus and say, this is sin in my life that I've kept in the darkness and I can't keep it in the darkness anymore. And some of us are so fearful because we know this, we know this pain, we know this darkness and we actually find safety in this darkness. So we stay here rather than going, actually, what's on the other side is the, is of my confession is the comfort and the kindness that only comes from God. And so I'm going to step out into the unknown. We know our pain, but we don't know the freedom that we can always get, always get on the other side of confession and repentance. So this is my encouragement, that we take whatever it is, whatever we keep in the darkness that we're so afraid to tell anybody, and we bring it out into the light so that other people, so our village, our community, our family, can actually say, hey, I see you. I don't like that stuff, but I love you. I love you. And so we're going to realign to the heart of the Father once again. We're going to do it together. That's the goodness of God at work. And we get to be the agents of that. How cool is that? In a world crying out for His kindness and His comfort, you and I get to do that. And so when somebody does wrong, we don't say, you're a sinner, you're going to hell, eternal burn. I don't know why it's always in a weird voice either, sorry. Um, just sounds worse, I think. Because you can't really say, turn or burn. doesn't have the same impact. Sorry, just... You don't want to be inside my head. Like, that's just a scary place to be. Um, in a world just crying out for his love, just for love and comfort, and we look for it in all the wrong places. And you and I, as followers of Jesus, here in Horsham, down in Melbourne in the islands, in southern uh, South Africa, wherever we're called. And Simon's talked before about being a community, no matter where we are. We get to be a part of God's community, releasing His comfort and His kindness, saying, hey, I see what you've done. I hear the pain that you're suffering. I hear the sin that you've been living in. But I choose to maintain my connection with you. And we're going to walk through repentance together. So here's what we're going to do. Here is what we are going to do. Sorry. And I know some of you right now um, are a little bit anxious, a little bit nervous because of whatever sin is in your life that you can't break free from. And I don't say that in any sense of arrogance or judgment. I say that in complete love and patience and understanding. We just want to get that thing out of you. So in a place of safety and love, if there is something in your life that you need to confess, if there's something in your life that you need to repent, uh, we want to pray with you, we want to join with you, and we want to support you and encourage you in that. And maybe you've never owned up to it before. Maybe this is the first time. Maybe you have owned up. Maybe you have confessed, but you haven't actually taken the step of repentance. I confess my sin, I bring it out into the open. I repent from my sin I turn away from it and follow the direction that God has for my life.
So if there is if there's something in your life that you need to break free from, if it's a sin in your life, and you might think it's the worst thing ever, well, that's because it's yours. But Jesus paid for it all. Jesus paid for it all. Whatever your sin is has been paid for. Your redemption, your forgiveness, bought on the cross by Jesus. He is that good. So I want to ask you, to be brave and courageous. We're going to ask you to stand and we're going to gather around you as a family and pray for you. Now, if you want to be super brave and confess it to the people that come near you, you can do that. And here, church, I encourage you that we are family. This is a safe place. We did this in men's group. When was that? Last October? Incredibly powerful. This is a safe place to confess our sins and to be repentant for what we have done that is not in line with what God has in store for us. So I invite you to stand. If there's something you want to confess, if there's a sin in your life that you want to deal with and you want to do that in community, you want to do that in a safe place, here is an invitation for you to do that now. All right, church, if you're near somebody standing up, you're a follower of Jesus, can I ask you to go and stand with those people, maybe first person there to say, hey, do you want to mention what it is that you need to confess? Or are they just looking for strength and encouragement to confess their sin? Let's bring that out into the light. Just go and stand with them now. There's people, there's a few people over in the back here. There's two people in the back in front of the control booth. Cindy, can you come and play, please? And just ask them, what is it do you need to confess? And as you do that, sorry, just really practical. This goes for anybody, anytime. Sorry, I should have done this sooner. When somebody confesses something to you, um, whatever happens on the inside, don't let that show on the outside. All right? If somebody says to you, uh, I, am, I really struggle with pornography, like the response that you don't want to give is, <gasps> really? I would never have known. That's terrible. Okay, that's not helpful. That is not safe. The best response, even if on the inside you're like, I don't know what to do with this right now. On the outside, I hear you. I hear you. Do you want to tell me more about that? Just hear the people's hearts, all right? So just do that now. Just ask, what is it that you need to confess? May you be a safe place for confession. Holy Spirit, guide us and protect us in this moment that we would know your comfort and your guidance that as we confess our sins and we repent of the things that we've done that are not of you, God, that we'd be aware of your presence in this moment, that we'd know your peace and your strength, your peace that surpasses understanding. Thank you, Jesus, for your death on the cross. Thank you for your blood. By your stripes, we are healed. By your wounds, we are saved. Jesus, we bless the people that stood up and said, I need to confess something. Wow. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We bless these people. We bless them to know your rod and your staff that comfort them. And we stand against the attacks of the evil one who comes to steal, kill and destroy because you came that we would have abundant life. 
We declare that now in Jesus' name. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Repentance requires a response. You might actually need to do something. I don't think it's, I don't reckon it's ever enough just to say, I repent. We actually need to respond out of repentance because of our our repentance to turn away from what it is that we've done. I think about raising, I know I talk about my kids a lot. God's taught me so much through being a father and a husband, more so than pretty much any other way, I reckon. Have you ever been a parent or have you, and you had kids and they do something wrong and you say to them, say sorry. Thank you. You're my number one fan. But have you ever tried that with your kids? Like, say sorry. Sorry. Say it like you mean it. Sorry like I mean it. Like, it's just, like, it's just fear. And Jesus doesn't operate out of fear. So when our kids mess up, I say, what are you going to do about that? Because it actually requires them to choose to do something. Because I can inflict punishment. That's not fun for anyone. I can encourage them to choose a way forward. They learn and I maintain my self-composure. And Jesus is glorified through it all. That's how good he is. And that's what he asks of us. I've already said the greatest miracle that we have is new life in Jesus Christ. Is there anyone here today that does not follow a Jesus that would love to receive Jesus as their personal Lord and Saviour? We see some incredible miracles, but this is the best miracle of all time. Because life, I can't imagine life without Jesus. Is it easier? Yeah, probably not. Is it better? Definitely. Because I'm made in His image, I get to follow Him and bring other people in to follow Him. Is there anybody here today? Can I ask you to stand once again to be bold and courageous? If you don't know Jesus, but you want to accept him as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to stand right where you are. A room full of Jesus followers. All right. Well, the invitation is always there. Always there. Hmm. All right, how about we all stand together? Jesus, we love you. Forgive us, Jesus, when we've fallen short of what you have in store for us. When we fall short of being who you called us to be, who you made us to be. Forgive us, Jesus, when we haven't been the comfort that the world needs, that when we haven't led them to you to know your comfort and your guidance. Forgive us, Jesus, when we've responded out of fear or anger, out of frustration, out of worry, out of our own pain, rather than leading people into an encounter with you to be set free from their pain. God, would you empower us once more? Would you again fill us to overflowing with your spirit? Guide us in your ways. Reveal to us your thoughts. Help us to see people as you see them, to see situations as you see them. Where there is darkness, let us release light. Where there is fear, let us release faith. 
where there is death, let us release hope. God, strengthen us to be the ministers of reconciliation that you called us to be. And by the love that we show one another, the world will know we are your disciples and the world will know that you are a good, good father. We love you, we praise you and we adore you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.